Welcome to Full Scope, a podcast with two guys in their 20s giving their perspective on the games that we love, the headlines and pop culture, and the meaning behind it all. I'm your host, Wanda Burns, learn my counterpart, Savon Morris. How's it going? It's going pretty good, man. How's everything? It's going pretty good. And um, today we're joined by a special guest once again, uh, Maurice Hendricks, um, a multi multimedia content creator focusing on making music, film production, and video game design. Um, a really good friend of the show that's helped with a ton of behind the scene behind the scenes things for the show as well and uh thanks for being back on man yeah no problem glad to be here glad to dive into the topics today yeah man (laughs) yeah man absolutely and we have a few album reviews in the first half of this episode and in the second half we'll um we're gonna have a review of uh, shutter island and to start it off with um frank ocean's uh blonde you know blonde was released in 2016 four years after his Chanel Orange um, album. And he's giving emotional songs that are, you know, rich and dedicated for a meditative and um, quieter space. And he just wasn't the storyteller for this album, but became but became the story. And, you know, a lot of the songs in here about everyday lives, just um, the state of it existing and there's feelings and ideas that are filled with um, deep love, despondent loss and, and heady philosophy. Um, even if he just didn't get the chance to experience these feelings himself, um, he delivers views into pl- into places that are you know unseen and um, that console. And you have songs like Skyline Skyline Two. You know it's a tone poem. Godspeed has a gospel feel to it. Um, Siegfried um, is a you know a spaced out solilo- soliloquy about living life. And then um, Night and Solo. You know t- two of the best songs on the project. You know some of my favorites along with um, Ivy and Pink and Pink and White. Um, but Nights it was the album centerpiece, and he's talking about a previous relationship detailing the highs and lows. Um, and he says, quote, all my night, been ready for you all my night, been waiting uh, on you all my night. I'll buzz you in. Just let me know when you're outside all my night, you've been missing all my night End quote. And then in solo, he's dealing with various aspects of being alone, such as self-love and waiting for love. Um, he says, quote, it's hell on earth and the city's on fire in hell and hell there's heaven. There's a bull in a matter door dealing in the dueling in the sky in hell and hell there's heaven End quote. Um, but Maurice, what were your thoughts on, um, on Blonde being an album with so much clarity and the transparency um, he delivers. And, you know, this project was also one that many consider as a, many, many um, consider as a career defining one for him and also a, a declaration for um, him being a newly independent artist. Yeah. Um, I think this really, I think this album really put him in the scope of a lot of people. Like, I think a lot of people, like they might've been fans of him before, like with, you know, Chanel Orange, um, and previous uh, works like Nostalgic Ultra. But um, I think this album really put him in, like, I guess, mainstream, even though he's still not mainstream as much. But, um, yeah, all the songs that I liked on there, some of the ones that you mentioned, especially Nights, obviously. I think that's everyone's favorite song. Yeah. Arguably, his, his like, uh, one of his best songs, um, to me, anyways. Um, one of his yeah, most iconic. Yes, exactly. That that whole beat switch, man. Oh my gosh! I remember the first time I listened to that. <laughs> I was like, I was like, whoa, because like I didn't even know who he was before. Like, I mean, what okay, just I knew who. Yeah, yeah. Like I knew who Frank Ocean was before, but I never really listened to his music like that. And mm-hmm. then when I first heard it, like a, a while ago, I was like, whoa, who is this guy? I gotta check out some of his <laughs> other stuff. And you yeah. come to realize that a lot of his stuff, like obviously, Nights is like the most. Uh, like beat switch, the whole beat switch, the whole dynamic between that, it was like the most prevalent there. But in other songs, he does this as well, where like the progression in the track um, goes on to the mood of what he was saying and like what he's talking about. So overall, I think the whole experience of Blonde 
uh, as an album, it's just something you just sit down and listen to, and you're like you're empathi- you're emphasizing with them, and you're just like in the moment. It's like a really great album for that. Yeah. I mean, but like, because I was talking to a friend about this, like they felt as though this was a really good album, but they felt as though Chanel Orange was even better. Like in terms of like looking at the two, I know sometimes it's hard to compare artists, particular projects and which one you like better. But in your perspective, like which one did you kind of feel was like maybe a superior work of art? Yeah. Okay. See, that's hard. Okay. Okay. I think the, okay. I think the peaks of Blonde were better than the peaks Mm -hmm. of Chanel Orange, but I guess as a whole project, Chanel Orange was a better project. Um, it offered more songs where the individuals would stand out. But with Blonde, like I said before, like you had those uh, single tracks that really stood out even beyond stuff that was on Chanel Orange. Um, so that's kind of my take on it. Like I look at Chanel Orange as the better album, but I think Blonde has the strong suit in the sense that it gave us songs like uh, Nights, you know, Ivy, as you mentioned before, and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's that's what I think. And the production. Uh, yeah. See, this is hard, too. Oh, I the think, production was phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it, it just took me back, the production style. Like, it made me start researching. Because you have to factor in those elements, too. Yeah, exactly. Like, it made me like, start Like, those elements have to be factored in, too. Exactly. Like, I, I, I had to go look at... Like, I'm a production person, so, like, I, I had to go look at some of the synthesizers they use and all this kind of stuff. It, like, made me geek out. Like, if an album can do that to a person that normally listens to music, you know, then that, that says something right there. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, Frank Ocean, he told BBC back in 2012, quote, what inspires me to make music is, um, I guess I'm just inspired to tell stories. It all starts with the stories for me, end quote. Um, but he just an overall singular talent um, with emotionally piercing lyrics, sonic architecture that's lavish and, and the meticulous production, as you were mentioning, Maurice. But um, some have said he was the artist of this last decade. But to you, Savon, like what element that he possesses as an artist um, to you make makes him like such a transcendent and beloved artist overall? I think that he's not in the media as much. I think he's like uh, the unicorn. Uh, you take, for instance, mm-hmm. when everybody thought uh, <laughs> he was going to come out on um, Tyler Creator's uh, show that that mm-hmm. led to yeah. Drake being booed. I think that he's not that we're not overdosing on his music or overdosing on his personality. That it's just like we want more, but he won't give us more type type of feel. And I think with how social media is designed and how new artists coming out, you. you uh, consumers wants to be in the artist's life twenty four seven. They want to yeah. know when you bought your new car. They want to know when you're how you named your daughter or your your son. And I think Frank Ocean is mm-hmm. so, and he has other ambitions. Not saying other artists doesn't. I think he's a, a registered nurse or he's in medical school. That he doesn't give us what's like people are yearning for through this new age of music, new age of social media. So I think when when you think of Frank Ocean, you think of a unicorn. And his unicorns are not obtainable. And then he's he's his own artist too. So I think that kind of plays into the role of like, ah oh, man, when Frank Ocean gonna drop me? Oh, he's surprise performance. Ah oh, nah, it's Drake. Yeah. Boo. We don't want more of you. <laughs> Get out. <But> we <laughs> got enough. We got enough of you. <laughs> but I think also, I think, I think his timing is so perfect. That what makes him a great artist. And I love how he comes up with the concepts of his music. Like for Blonde, I think 
he he did an interview or somebody did an interview on his team saying that he got the idea of seeing a little girl with her hands over her face and she was in a car and he imagined he imagined himself well she was in like a seat belt or something like something like that i know this sounds crazy but it's getting to a point <laughs> she had a seatbelt on and you could see her eyes but you couldn't see her eyes so he imagined himself in her place of being free but also being con- 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 in containment and i feel like that's what his personality is and he came out as being a member of lgbt and just embodying himself i think that would make him different in the timing of everything so his music mm-hmm. will f- forever stand the time because of his timing and he's not giving what the consumers want him to give a part of his life and a part of his you know his his process but i really think that's what makes him stand out as an artist for sure yeah absolutely and 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 you know looking at just what he's done since then you know in terms of just you know dropping more, uh, more singles instead of like you know, consistent projects and putting out like a ton of music, as you were saying, Savon, like some, a lot of listeners, they want to hear like constant um, music put out and, and, you know, just more content that they can, you know, pick from. But to you, like Maurice, like what's the next phase do you, do you see like his career taking in terms of what he's going to do? Or do you think it's one of those things where he's just going to be patient in terms of the music and content he puts out? Yeah, I think I think the whole industry as a whole is going into a great direction. And I think he's going to be one of the like leaders in that. Like he already is like one of the uh, I guess he's not as mainstream as other artists, because like like Savon said, he's not really in the media like that. Um, and he's not like super outgoing with all the stuff that he's doing in his life. But in terms of his music, I think that everyone can agree that he's had some influence um, or he's at least unique. Um with his production style, with the way he writes his music, just his style as a whole. Like, he's a, he's in his own category. Like, there's not many people I can mm-hmm. say that's like, oh, he, he sounds like Frank Ocean, because, like, not a lot of people could sound like Frank Ocean. So I think he's going to be one of the the uh, leaders in that new sound, and I think he's going to be patient like he's been doing. Um, he's not going to, like, start releasing more music um, more often, because, um, like Savon said, you know, he has other ambitions going on. So I think he's just going to keep doing what he's been doing. He has that formula, you know. Obviously, it's working if people are booing Drake over him missing. <laughs> right. So, you know, he's just going to keep doing what he's been doing and making great music. Yeah, definitely. And, and um, transitioning to, to Kalani's, it, it was good until it wasn't. Um, You know, this project was released this past May, and it's uh, Kalani's second full-length album that, you know, really just highlighted her voice's range and clear-eyed approach. Um, it's got love songs filled with the forces that make and break romance, but the focus is is on immersion. Um, she's also taking emotions and situations, comparing contradictions and tensions, and trying to arrive at clarity. And, and, and in uh, Bad News, a song that's um, dealing with commitment issues, and she says, quote, and all I want you to know is I'm here. If no one else, I'm here. Right, right here, I'm never scared, no fear. No way when you're with me, you're safe. Like always, to so let it fade and go ahead, end quote. And then um, in open slash passionate, we get her with two different distinct visions and the depth of her lyrics and and vocals are put on display. Um, But her opener, which was like one of the favorites uh, that a lot of fans um, had as their favorite um, on this project was was toxic. And it was just the perfect intro for the album that she put together and um, just places um, the most important elements of her sound at the center, giving the deepest and and, um, moodiest of beats to reveal intense truths about relationships and just feelings in general, she says, quote, we take turns being wrong. I get real accountable when I'm alone, end quote. Mm, um, but Maurice, yeah, what were your thoughts about her second project? 
in, in which the product in which the product um, fits the pursuit with cloudy grooves and just you know channeled all of her skills into one of the most um, solid albums of the year so far. Yeah, like I, when I was listening to this album, like I know there was like context between like her past relationship. Um, what was his name? It was it. Uh, do you know? Who, do you guys know who it was? Party next door in uh, Kyrie Irving and okay. another, another yeah, girl. It was Kyrie okay. and Party. Yeah, so there was like a whole bunch of like controversy with all that stuff going on, and so like um, me listening to this album, I didn't know as much as, about it, but I kind of wanted to stay that way because I wanted to like see if I could like tell what was happening with the album and the project as a whole. But yeah, as you mentioned, Toxic was definitely one of my favorite songs. I like uh, Can I a lot with that um, with Tory Lanez. Oh, yeah. and then, yeah, Tory Lanez. oh my god, you know what? You know what? I. All right, I think a lot of people sleep on the outro, bro. Lexi's outro, oh my gosh, like she's oh Lexi's goodness, yeah, she's like she low key snapped, she's like snapped. she was spinning facts, she was rapping. I was like, yo, it just didn't even sound like her, like it didn't even sound like her, like because you yeah. know we're so used to her singing, or if she does like rap, it's like you know how pop stars rap and rap, you know, every now and then. But yeah, this whole project, I was very surprised to, cause I liked her first album, the uh, While We Wait. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that, yeah. um, or that EP. But this album, I was surprised that I liked it a lot because I just knew that it had dealt with those kind of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, just a lot of those songs in there I really enjoyed listening to. And the project scope as a whole, like she was able to communicate her thoughts with relationships, uh, issues, and problems that this generation faces as a whole in terms of relationships um, and just trying to figure that out. And helping us figure that out through her music. Yeah, and, and even if you look when you look at the title, like she had an interview where she had a conversation with with, with Drake about that, like the title, and, and and she was talking about her relationships, and she just said it was good until it wasn't. And Drake was like, you know, say that again, and and that's where she picked the title. It was just like just a regular know. conversation, and yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, it's crazy how she was able to pick that um in terms of just like like the particular vision um for the project, and there's just so much versatility in terms of. Um, what Kalani can do as she's a really good performer, you know, can rap and sing. And she said a few, few years ago that she doesn't even make R&B and doesn't want to be boxing into just one sound. Um, but to you, Savon, in terms of like her just not wanting to be boxed into one sound and just, you know, merging from from different realms and really being able to do, you know, a lot of different things as an artist, um, what are your kind of your overall thoughts on just what she's been able to do um, as an artist um, with these two projects? I think that's that's a word of having freedom because when you're signed, you have so many limitations and restrictions. Certain things you can't do, can't say, we, we know. But I think when you, you're boxed in one particular genre, it doesn't give you room for improvement or room to reach a different sound in a different demographic. I think when you're a rapper and a singer, we, we see what Drake can do. Drake is the, one of the ideal models in the music industry because he does... Uh, pop. He does R and B. He does hip hop. He does uh reggae, uh dance hall. So he has all those elements in his game, and he's yeah. considered top tier. So if you want to be top tier, you can't be boxed into one genre. And I really uh think all artists should kind of uh, resemble that or emulate that uh that way of thinking. But for Kalani, man, she's the opposite of Frank Ocean because we've seen. Her go through <laughs> breakups. We've seen her be suicidal, um, just airing her dirty laundry out. Yeah. She went, yeah, we've seen it yeah. all. And with that, she's still able to touch millions because of her story. And a lot of people are so afraid to tell their story. 
even when it's already told by someone else. No, you need to tell your story for yourself. And I love that about Kalani because she doesn't care. She cares what people think. I won't say that. She definitely cares what people think. But I think she's bold enough to tear her side of the story and not let the, the narrative just be out there in the, you know, in the galaxy of social media. But I really think with her music, yeah. she's top, she's a top tier singer. She has range. She can sing live. I've I've oh, seen yeah. her live uh live feed a couple of times. One, because Kalani is super bad and she's from Oakland. <laughs> and number two, her voice is like it will put you to it will her voice, Janea Eco and her voice really like relaxes me. And I'm just vibing to her voice. Yeah. She has she has everything you want in an artist, and her music shows it. And I love her selection of features, especially for this album. She had Lucky Day, who was an mm -hmm. upcoming artist from New Orleans. The guy's a beast. He was uh, nominated for a uh, new artist. He didn't win, but he was nominated. She had Tory Lanez, a beast uh, legend. She even had Masego. I know I'm butchering his name, but I knew about this cat where he was just making music uh, with one of his cool <laughs> friends. Like, like I love her selection of music, of art, her features. So, man, this whole album, even though I didn't listen to it in its entirety, but the songs I did listen to, mm -hmm. like the outro, the outro is a beast, intro is a beast, and uh, uh, was it Ken? Yeah, Ken I featuring uh, Tori Lanez is my favorite. Man. Yeah, yeah, that was one of my favorites. Yeah, absolutely. And, and 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 I mean, and some people, a lot of people have this as one of the best albums of the year so far. Like to you, Maurice, like where does this rank um, among some of like the favorite projects you've had from um, for for this year? Yeah, de it's definitely. I think it's definitely in my top ten. I would say. Um, I don't know, man. Yeah. This this year as a whole, like. There's been it's either hit or miss, honestly. Like there's some good ones, and then there's some. Yeah, just like, right, hey, there's no in between. Sure. Right. Yeah, there is no in between this year. Um, but yeah, this definitely ranks in one of my uh, top ten. I would say I I can't I haven't listened to it enough to uh, be sure like where it places at. Um, that like requires a second or third mm -hmm. listen, but right. Um, it definitely is one of my yeah. favorite projects this year. Yeah, absolutely. And um, transitioning to uh, to Jaden Smith's uh, uh, Sire, um, you know, Sire was released in 2017, and, and this debut had you know sophisticated ideas, musings, and pretensions that Smith you know packed into all of this. Um, from the opening, he's talking about you know the the biblical story of creation, and also referencing the uh, myth of Icarus. And in terms of the songcraft, you know, he's going from sound to sound and thought to thought continuously. Um, he referenced Frank Ocean's Blonde and, and Kanye's The Life of Pablo as two projects that were kind of influencers uh, for him for this particular album. And um, in a six, six track hope, he's talking about his hope for the world and hope for um, equality, wisdom, and a less corrupt, corrupt world. Um, he says, quote, business is business. I get it. I'm just wishing all these, all these prisons were, was not independent. Lobbyists are in the Senate lobbying to make it obvious innocent people are prosecuted for a living, end quote. And in 90, he's expressing his love life rather being experienced in an enlightening um, and controversial aspect. And in the second part, there's just a plethora of guitar riffs that are climatic and, and still consists of him longing for a perfect, uh, perfected relationship. Um, he says it, it quote, it isn't picture perfect. You can miss perfection in it because it's subtle. The storm is coming and it's rain, raining cats and dogs. Stay away from all them puddles. We're keeping it humble and noble. I spit that radiation like I'm Chernobyl, end quote. But so, Maurice, looking oh, back yeah. at this, like, what were your thoughts? Um, <laughs> what does that say? <laughs> <laughs> that was... That See, Zayvon, I already know you're not a fan of this project. 
<laughs> straight seven days. It was weak. Straight seven days. Weak. It took him seven days to write that bar. <laughs> it was weak. <laughs> Oh man! Oh god! Yeah, but, but, but overall, but, 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 but overall, <laughs> but overall, like in terms of just what he did in, the, in this debut for you, Maurice, like what were kind of your initial thoughts of it? Okay, me. So for me personally, as a debut album, right? You gotta admit this was yeah. good. There's no way you can say that. This, was, okay, I, I, so. I definitely, I definitely get the whole notion that you know he's Will Smith's son, so he's constantly having to live up to that standard of everything really. And that's like what this album was kind of about too, was him trying to establish something for himself. And I think he did that. You know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't anything that like, it was his, it was his own identity, you know? Um, but yeah, right. definitely. I think it established him like that. I think that properly established him and the mu- music industry. Cause he was making music before that. Uh, a lot of people just didn't know that. And then when he dropped this as his debut, I think it caught on to a lot of people, especially um, Icon. Obviously, that was a, the big one from from this album. Um, but as you said, mm-hmm. "90" was so good to me. Like that's one of my favorite tracks on there. "Lost Boy" too, that was good. Yeah. And I think what really helped him out with this whole project was the production. I think that was the best thing. Like besides like his Absolutely. lyrics and stuff, like his lyrics or what, whatever. But the production on this album is amazing. Like, I don't know if it was just a lot of money sank, sank into it or, or of what, course, you know. But... Of course it was. <laughs> yeah, of course yeah, yeah. it was. I'm not saying the production carried him, though. Don't don't let me say that. But I'm saying the production helped him out a lot in the sense that it attracted the ears of a lot of people. So I think overall, this was really, a really great debut project. And I don't think there's any arguing that it's a, as a decent... <sighs> A good project, at least. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no arguments for me. <laughs> right, well, you got. Let me. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Willa, too. Go ahead. <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, some would, you know, a, a lot of people would, would say that, and maybe not a lot, but, but like it's a, kind of half and half. Some would say, you know, he's a, a misunderstood genius. And, and throughout certain interviews and articles, um, he wants the art he's putting out to be given, you know, the adequate credit um, he thinks it deserves. And, and Jaden also thought this album was rev- revolutionary and a very honest record as um, something people from the future may understand better. But just, you know, in terms of the credit he's wanting from his work, say, like, what are your thoughts on it? Because he's mentioned like a couple albums like Frank Ocean and Kanye's Life of Pablo that he was looking for inspiration from. And he was pretty adamant that this was kind of like a revolutionary type of record um, in his young career. That was that was a big mistake. Uh, Miss Mistaken Genius? Okay, that's a stretch. That's Michael Jordan Space Jam. No, I'm not saying court. that. I'm not saying no, I would I, I would say that. But, no, but, I know. I'm just saying like yeah. what the, the he said or the reporter said, that's Michael Jordan Space Jam yeah. have court buzzer beater. <laughs> that's what that is. But you know, do you guys remember <laughs> do you guys remember Karate Kid? He played in Karate Kid, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he had a he yeah. had a saying. He's like, I want to go home. I don't want. I want to go home. That's I what hate it here. <laughs> that's what his producer should have said. That's what the engineer should have said. Oh, this yeah. album, yo, I didn't even give it a chance. I didn't even Dang. give it a chance. Cause one, what what do you have to say? I respect you more as a premature Dang. activist with the water helping Flint, Michigan, more than I respect you as an artist. 
You're and to let's be honest, Will Smith wasn't all that dope as an artist. Let's 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 be completely honest. He'll tell you that his first couple songs went platinum, then his album went. He said platinum. That should tell you. That <laughs> yeah, should tell yeah. you. I, I don't care what you're trying to live up to. I mean, it's not much as a person. Will Smith is a great person, great uh actor, probably great father. But music-wise, I don't turn on Let's Get Jiggy With It. I haven't heard that song in so long. <laughs> I don't wake up, oh, let me put a na-na-na-na-na-na-na. I don't wake up wanting to hear that. I don't wake up wanting to hear Jada Smith. But I will say, when you have those big shoes to fill as a person and your dad is this icon, it is extremely hard to do so. And it's extremely hard to find your 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 who you are in your own footsteps within your family's footsteps. Now, if Jaden was a normal kid, no one would listen to this album. But just because he has the last name Smith and he played in... His sister has a better career than him. Ooh! <laughs> I whip my head back and forth. Mm. I would listen to that song more than I would listen to anybody, any other Jaden songs. Completely Dang. honest. Completely honest. I'm, wow. <laughs> they would be saying... Willow, I, Willow's music is different, but it's vibes. Yeah. It's vibes, though. It now, we had Willow album. I forgot the name of the one she just put out not too long ago. I actually it looked at that. It was a vibe. It was like earthy. It was mystical. It had me thinking like, hmm, I would really want to ride a unicorn right now. Like, it made me think about the outside universe. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, what's up with you and unicorns? <laughs> Yo, he hey, that's the that's the key word, Maurice. Every episode he has a key word. Unicorns, unicorns, unicorns. Well, it's my the first person noticed. Is that what it is? No, oh yeah, actually, you are. that. Yeah, first guess. Wellington, Wellington, uh, says it all the time. I was like, Wellington, that's the word of the the podcast. That's a word. <laughs> word of the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Unicorn. <laughs> but no, nah, yeah, seriously. I digress. This album was number two. Number two. Mm. So stand. Number two. Number harsh, two. Harsh ranking. <laughs> harsh. Harsh. Very harsh. And, and I mean, like, and Maurice, we're talking about like, like the production, that being kind of like the strongest part of the, uh, of the project, you know, one of the undernoted elements of it. And then you have like projects like the sunset tapes from him um, in his last um, project, Ours. Um, in, in terms of like what he's done with the other two and just maybe like the production, like, do you see, I kind of have a two-part question. Do you see the production still being like the biggest um, plus for him going forward in terms of, in terms of his bigger projects and also like, where does this where does this project to you rank among his like other two? Yeah, I think so. Me personally, to answer your second question first, because I think it's important for the first one. I think I honestly think I like Sire better than Aries, and obviously, I think the sun the sunset tapes were just throwaways from Sire. To be honest, not even not even lying to you. Um, but I think I think the production was the best on Sire, and I think that's why I like Sire the best because like. He doesn't, I just, I don't know. I don't know if it's like the content that he talks about or the way he says it, but it's just not enough meat to like, to think, like, I feel like it's like this fake woke thing. And I guess Savon kind of touched on it a little bit. Like, what does he actually have to say in his position? Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, I guess he's just like, 
um, you know, any other artist coming up. He just does it in a different way. Um, they don't, they have like content that they talk about normally. Like it could be like, you know, drugs or, or the way they brought up the way they were brought up from like the hood or whatever. Um, but Jaden, he obviously he doesn't have that cause he was raised in a family that, you know, they probably had maids and stuff, you know, all that kind of stuff. Cause they're Will Smith, you know, he carried them, but or he lives in a famous mm-hmm. family. So like, there wasn't much he had to do to get established in the game. And I think that, he should take advantage of that with his producers, like get as much producers as you can and get them to make a sonically beautiful album, because I think that's really the strongest part. Um, as far as what he's doing in the future, I think that he's trying to break away from that because I think he got a lot of feedback on that end that the the best part of Sire was his production. So are the production on the album. I don't think he produced any songs. Um, so he's trying to break away from that. And basically just trying to make more songs like, you know, Icon, where he was the strongest yeah. part, like his lyricism, his his words. Those He was the, the focus uh, on that song. Yeah, exactly. But compared to like other songs, like, for example, Fallen, a lot of people like Fallen um, and then Fallen Part 2. Those are very production heavy songs that really make the listener repeat, which isn't necessarily bad. You know, like if you're in love with a song because, you know, it's a vibe. um, then it's a vibe. Then you're still making money from the song either way. But, you know, he's trying to break away and he's trying to become his own artist. He's trying to become individual. So if he wants to do that, he has to focus on the content that he's saying and the type of song he makes rather than uh, focusing on production. He just hasn't got there yet, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our Shutter Island review. Welcome back to the show. And now we're getting into our Shutter Island review. And to start it off with the, uh, the overview, um, Shutter Island was a 2010 American psychological uh, thriller film directed by Martin Scorsese and written by um, Leda um, uh, Calagaritis based on Dennis Lehan's 2003 novel of the same name. Um, it's about U.S. Uh, US Marshal Edward uh, Teddy Daniels, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, who is investigating a psychiatric facility on Shutter Island after one of the patients go missing. Um Mark Ruffalo plays his partner, Officer Ben Kingsley, um, and uh, I mean, uh, plays his partner, Officer Ben King- Kingsley, is the facility's lead psych- uh, psychiatrist. Uh, psychiatrist Max uh, von Sido is a German doctor, and Michelle Williams is Daniel's wife. Um, this film received many positive reviews from critics, chosen by the National Board of Review as one of the top ten films of 2010. Um, grossed over 294 million worldwide and had a budget of 80 million. Um, so, when we were talking earlier before the show. Had the lowest Rotten Tomatoes review, uh, oh, review we've yeah. ever had, 68%. It's still confounding. Um, they believed, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's Scorsese and, and is kind of like most unrestrained mode, but the audience score was higher with 76%. And when you have a director like Martin Scorsese delving into a psychological thriller in a different realm and setting, um, not all critics are going to receive it well. But one of the films he showed his cast was um, Alfred Hitchcock's, um, Hitchcock's Vertigo, a film with just amazing, thrilling visuals. Um, but Maurice, like, kind of like before we get to the, the the first few topics, what are your thoughts on just the psychological genre he gets into, and why it may have not received a unanimous unanimous approval from some uh, some critics? Um, but overall, like when you when we look back at it, it really was an unsung masterpiece um, from him. Yeah, I think it's mainly just because some people just don't understand, and they get confused with the the ending, maybe or mm-hmm. or like the topics themselves can be quite confusing and and kind of sensitive to dive into. 
So I think that's why, like, I think critics will look at it through more of a critical lens because they're going to dissect everything that you put in and everything means something in this psychological thriller. Like, because that, that's how, like, the mind works. Like, um, they're going to derive meaning for, for everything. So they probably just either looked into it too much or didn't look into it enough to catch all the elements um, that Scorsese was trying to um, kind of uh, illustrate in the film. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, th- this being um, a psychological thriller and, and, and kind of a different um, mode Scorsese is getting in because he's had you know, so many just great, you know, mafia movies, um, you know, Wolf of Wall Street, a, a, another great film. Um, it, it has a countless a number of them. Um, but Savan, to you, like, just in terms of what this movie was, DiCaprio and Scorsese not getting uh, an Oscar, you know, nomination for the first time ever in their tenure working together. What were your kind of initial thoughts on this psychological thrill and, and also just kind of not the <clears> unanimous <throat> approval that the film got um, for Scorsese? How dare they? How dare these critics disrespect greats like that, man? Are you ser- yeah. Are you for serious? Are you for serious? 68? Jeez, man. But this was an incredible film because we didn't expect any of it. I I can be the first one to be humble enough and show humility that I didn't expect that ending. It was a great freaking ending. It Mm -hmm. was a perfect ending. Now, if he would have... If he would, oh my God, I want to get into it too much. But if it was any, in any other way, I would have been disappointed. But the way it ended, I really love the way they did it. I really loved how they did things to make him mm-hmm. try to remember what his life was before he got there. It was an excellent film. It was written perfectly. The scenes matched. They flowed well. Had great actors. Had a great director. And you give it sixty eight percent. You just don't understand, man. I don't. You're done. You're done. Now. You're, I don't. Even, I don't understand it. Like, oh, <laughs> you're done, man. You're. Oh, I don't understand it, man. I don't. Yeah, I, I mean, really like. Yeah, I'll forget it. I, it, I it, it it's really confounding because you know we, we even talked about it with the uh, the last movie review we did with with Heat how it didn't receive any Oscar nominations and sometimes just great films just aren't unanimously approved. But um, right. to, like to 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 you, Sevan, like do you feel as though it's one of those things where you know, looking back at it, uh, even a few years later, I feel as though it's one of those things where those critics have to be like, man, like we really missed that one. Because sometimes if you just saw it once, that's not enough. Like you had to see it multiple times and I'm sure they did see it multiple times, but it's a, it's a film that stands the test of time, clearly. Of course, of course. The, the fact, I don't want to, maybe if I, I'm trying to put myself in movie critics, and especially not, no, not movie critics, just Rotten Tomato, why they gave that in 68%, I'm really trying to put myself in their shoes and try to realize why they did so. Maybe because mm-hmm. it was a different type of film from uh, from Martin yeah. Scorsese. We've seen DiCaprio his play typical multiple, film. Not his typical film, but I think they were so off guard by it being really good. They said, well, we can't uh, let him know that it's good. So we're going to give him 68% and we're not going to nominate him for anything. <laughs> they told him, you better not go outside your genre, friend. So they gave him a 68% because they're a We'll loser. show him. <laughs> we'll show him loser. You stay in the, you stay in the mafia game, Martin Scorsese. But I don't understand why. I can't put myself in their shoes. I can't. I don't understand it. I will see if the acting or this like it just did too much, but it flowed mm-hmm. well. It gave you clues, little clues here and there, 
and it really kept me. Yes. Glued. I remember we were talking about Inception, and I was like, I didn't really like it because it didn't keep me glued. And we and we re- reverted to this movie, how I could watch this movie over and over and still be like, yo, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Oh, crap. Yeah. They did do that. So I don't know, but I don't understand. It had enough suspense. It had great actors. It had a great timeline. Had a great ending, in my opinion. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, man. absolutely. Know. Yeah, and, and transitioning to our first topic from from one to four stars, what would you give it? This was a clear four star film. Just excellent in terms of with incredible use of production design and atmosphere. Um, you know the qualified polish that you have with Scorsese, along with the deliberate um, continuity errors, meant to reflect Teddy's state of mind added on to what was a Sears film with, with a ton of twists in the, in the reveal ending. Um, but to you, Maurice, overall, um, from one to four stars, what would you give it? Yeah, definitely four out of four. There's no question in my mind. Like Savon yep. said, I could watch this over and over again, pick up on new clues. They're just scattered so... There's so much uh, detail scattered, and you have to watch it more than once to pick up on those details because, like, you start looking for different things as you discover more things, so... Mm-hmm. It's just like, how deep does it go, you know? So it's just a wonderful film, wonderful film. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Savon, from your perspective, like, what makes this, in, in, um, in terms of just what the many viewings that you've had of, had of it, just a four, a clear four-star film? Four-star because of Leonardo, only got one DiCaprio. Grammy, DiCaprio. And you should have, not Grammy, oh my gosh. I said Grammy. <laughs> I was like, wait, huh? I we wanted Grammy. <laughs> 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 I know we wanted Grammys and stuff. What's wrong with them? <laughs> I have at least like three to four follies every podcast. Oh gosh, uh, Oscar! Oh, <laughs> you're the only one with Oscar. Why did I say a Grammy? Maybe he does music in the, you know, in his afterlife. <laughs> He's in the lab, man. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's a maybe he's an artist reincarnated or something. I don't know, man. I know I'm not saying it for, but no, I think it was a great film because of his his performance. It really, he really yeah. sold multiple roles. He had multiple identities inside this one role, and to put yourself into that realm is extremely hard, and it's extremely hard to get yourself out of it. Because I think he is a method actor, if I'm not mistaken. So I think him, his performance really kind of sold me. I mean, I'm a big Leonardo DiCaprio fan, so I'm kind of biased. But he, I, I don't. I never see him put out a, a, a terrible movie, or been a part of a terrible movie. I've never. I can't. I can't. I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but I can't find a movie yeah, in my I head. I really can't think of one. Like, well, yeah, I, I'm trying Catch to think of one. Now, the Aviator, Wolf of Wall Street. Like, like overall, like to you guys, I'm starting off with you, Maurice. Like, what's kind of your favorite or best film that you've you've kind of seen from DiCaprio? Uh, <laughs> that's tough. I know it's tough. I know it's tough, but this this yeah. is this is really high in the list. I don't know, man. I am still gonna say Savon might kill me, but I'm still gonna say Inception. Oh, um, yes. Great one. <laughs> I still I'm still gonna say Inception. Although I think his acting was really good in, in this film, so that that's a really hard choice, though. That's a really hard choice. Yeah. I mean, Savon, is is there one like even if it's hard to pick like the the best one? Is there like a favorite one that you kind of have from him overall? Gosh, even when he was he said Inception, I was thinking like, what movie? What movie? I really don't have one, man. It is mm-hmm. too many. Wolf of Wall Street was a good one. I mean, it was like like bare minimum. Even The Departed was a good one. Yeah, The Departed was really yeah. good. Um, uh, Aviator was really catch me if you can. I. I'm gonna yeah. have to give it to him. 
He was a young actor too. No, 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 no. Titanic. Yeah. Titanic. Titanic. How dare I forget about Titanic? Yeah, there you go, right there. He knew he could have got on that thing. He should. He could have got on there. He could have. <laughs> he could have got on. <laughs> he could have fit on there. But no, I think Titanic because he was a young actor. Because he's been active for so long. He's been. He was. A, he started as a, a child actor, and then now you just see the progress. He. I think he played an autistic kid too on one of his shows or on one of the movies or something like that. He played one of those type of roles. But he has range, man. It's so hard just to pick one movie, but I have to it's the catalog. I mean, we mentioned with Denzel and Training Day, but you look at DiCaprio's catalog, it's it's so deep and it's one of those things where he's not stopping anytime soon. Like he's still gonna put out even even once upon a time in Hollywood, the the, the latest film he was in, like he's constantly in great films. It's hard to find one one bad film he's been in. Yeah. I totally agree on that. If you yeah. if you can, you're crazy. <laughs> I don't know, like, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, transitioning to to our second topic, favorite character. Um, I mean, Teddy Daniels is 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 one of the most you know is the most fascinating one. Another one I had was was Chuck Gale slash um, Doctor Sheenan, played by Mark Ruffalo. Um, in terms of just what he represented in the film, with both of his identities being um, representative of reality, um, he's the reason Teddy goes to the lighthouse and finds out um, that he's latest and and, and not Teddy. And a representative of mental illness, um, he wants help, latest, but um, it, it's not something that that um, that he wants. But in, in overall, um, to you, Maurice, like, what was your who was your ki- favorite character in this film? Yeah, um, I was gonna say Teddy, but like honestly, I just thought about it really, and I I really like uh, the performance from are uh, the act the character of Doctor Kali um, mm-hmm. throughout the whole movie. He's just so sneaky, bro. I swear, like Why? he was like the main character that like kind of like made you question like what was actually happening like it is are they lying to him are they trying to trick him or are they being legit like is this this whole experience legit so uh throughout the film he like he he looks at um the other his partner basically the whole time um what, what is his partner's uh name in the movie uh mark Ruff, mark ruffler like his character oh chuck chuck yeah yeah, yeah chuck yeah yeah my bad so chuck so he looks him and Dr. Kali look at each other throughout the whole movie. They give these like mm-hmm. sneak glances. I don't know if you guys caught on to that, but it's just like it's it's like when I look when I watched it like a third time, I, I saw that happening throughout the movie. And I'm like, whoa, this guy is so sneaky, bro. I swear. Yeah. And then like also like he also it's not even just like the glances or whatever. He's also uh he he talks like the dialogue from him. Um he has a lot of foreshadowing in his dialogue. And just little hints at what the true story is. So I just really like um, how they use his character to kind of be like a, a element of foreshadowing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Savon, to you overall, who who was kind of your um your favorite character in in this one? George Noyce or Noyce, whatever you want. I I like him. If you don't know, he played uh, Rorschach in uh, Watchmen. Uh, I think his name is Jackie. Uh, Freak, what is the actor's name? I first, I know his first name is Jack, but he also played Rorschach in uh, Watchmen, the uh, superhero the mm-hmm. superhero movie. But I love this character because he was the climax to me. And he was like, "Yo, you're him. You're you're chasing goals. You're him. You beat me up." Like I really love that his character because it was vital to the storyline. It really gave you a perspective like, 
oh crap, maybe this isn't real. Maybe <laughs> something is going on. Like, yeah, you beat me exactly. up. Like they put me here because you beat me yeah. up. Like he just looked at his face. Like I like that. I love it. I like that character because I don't know. It just it was that climax. It gave you that oh like oh epiphany moment type thing. Like yeah. oh crap. He doesn't know what's going to happen next. Like I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm weird when it comes to like different characters, but I do like uh, Doctor Carly. Like I like him as like his other movies too. He is like the sneaky type, and he's like you don't know. Yeah, yeah he has one face the entire time. One face <laughs> the entire, the entire, entire time. That face, man. Any character he plays, it's a same face. I don't know how he does it. You must stare at the mirror, Toughness up, up the the mirror just, and, and just focus and say, "This is the face we're going to have to use." The same face. He never smiles, even if it's a smile. It's just like a speed bump. It's literally for a second. He doesn't try it with lines. He tries out with his face. He, he right. just shows that face. He, he has the role right there. Exactly. Like he just comes in, notice, yeah. and just looks at everybody. <laughs> and walks out. Well, he was super yeah. good. What do you guys think? Yeah, we're gonna go with him. But yeah, they're like, this is our guy. This is our guy. <laughs> this is our guy right here. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, and, and now transitioning to the most memorable scenes and quotes of the movie. Um, for for scenes, uh, you have to let me go, and that's where Teddy dreams of his wife, and she's telling him to face the facts and finally wake up. Um, could you stop that scene where Teddy questions patient Peter Breen concerning the whereabouts of our Rachel um Solando? Um, what if they wanted you here? Um, where Teddy and Chuck decided to leave the island before it's too late. Um, I buried you. I buried you. Where Teddy meets Rachel um, Solando, um, who questions his very existence. Um, a rat in a maze scene where George Noyce tries to convince Teddy he's a he's a part of the conspiracy. Um, my name is Edward Daniels. Where Doctor Colley and Doctor Sheenan try to convince Teddy that um, his real name is Andrew Latis. Um, Set me free. Where Andrew tells Dolores that he loves her just before killing her. Um, and then the final one, live as a monster, die as a good man, where Teddy asked Chuck, which would be worse. And um, Chuck thought he was still crazy. But once Teddy says that line, um, Chuck realizes that, th- that there's been a change. Um, to you, Maurice, overall, uh, what was kind of your favorite scene of, of the film? Yeah, I'm definitely going to go with the you have to let me go, man. That scene right there, mm-hmm. it was so moving. Uh, firstly, the soundtrack, man. Max Richter yeah. on the Nature of Daylight. Goodness. Oh my gosh! Like I know a, a, a lot of movies have used that music, um, you know, for very powerful scenes. And I think that the short scene that it was, it was super important and powerful for the whole scheme of the story. Like you know, the ass visuals. It represents like mm-hmm. the his mind infecting him, and that he thinks that his wife was killed by fire or whatever. Like um that latest did that killed his wife in a fire but you know at the core you know when they're like when he was wrapping his hands around her around her his wife uh you could see that there was like the bullet wounds and she was bleeding from the the inside and so it's all like symbolism you know at its core this Mm -hmm. is what happened but your mind is infecting you from around from around and then just the whole the lake foreshadowing you know um that house that they were looking out to was um where he, you could see like that's where you know she killed she drowned uh, the kids and stuff. So mm-hmm. that that scene right there, it was like the centerpiece for the movie for me. It, it really explained um, everything that happened. You know, in the end, uh, it explained all that. And then, all right, it foreshadowed, not explained. It foreshadowed to that. Right. And then it it just wrapped uh, everything that was going through his mind too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Savon, to you, what was kind of your most memorable uh, scene uh, of this film? 
looking back I have, at. I have two. The one scene where he finally gets to the lighthouse, and he, mm-hmm. who does he find? The guy who has one facial expression. And then <laughs> we get the whole spiel. The whole spiel. We've been through this before. We tried this before. You did the same thing. You you were good for a moment. Then you went back. Like that was the like a pivotal moment into the timeline, into the storyline of the movie. And I'm like, yo, I did not know that it was coming. I thought he was gonna find somebody up there. He was so convincing. But uh that that scene and then the last scene, uh, when they were on the oh, steps. Yeah. Yeah. And they looked at each other, and he was like, uh, come on, boss. Uh, I forgot the line or something. And he looked up, he saw it, and then DiCaprio looked up and saw everything going, and he knew what happened, but he knew what he did. And I'd rather, I'd rather go to get this to be put down or killed before I have to live with what I did and think about all this stuff again. So that that scene, the last scene, and those two scenes really stood out the most, most to me. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, transitioning to most memorable quotes, um, Teddy, uh, which would be worse uh, to live as a monster or to die as a good man? Um, Dolores, um, quote, you have to let me go. Um, Teddy, I'm not going to leave. I love you so much. Um, Dr. Colley, san- sanity is not a choice, Mar- Marshall. Um, you can't just choose to get over it. Rachel Solando, you're smarter than you look, Marshall. That's probably not a good thing. Um, Chuck, what if you were, what if while you were looking into them, they were looking into you? Um, Chuck, it's an island boss. They're always going to find us. Um, Dr. Nearing, uh, w- wounds can create monsters, and you are wounded, Marshall. And when you when did you agree? When you see a monster, you must stop it. Um, to to you overall, Maurice, what was kind of like the the most memorable quote? Um, just in in, in, in the various amounts of, of good quotes that there were in, in this one. Yeah, the, all those quotes that you gave were really good. Um, yeah, I, I'm definitely gonna have to go with that last quote. You know, the final quote of the film. Uh, it definitely had the biggest impact because that is the turning point of the film where everything is like realized. Absolutely. Even even if you watch it for like one time, something about that phrase doesn't seem right. So it makes you want to watch it again mm-hmm. to understand the phrase because that that phrase really wraps everything and it it tells the story right there just based off that one phrase. So that definitely was I think like the most important phrase and probably like one of the best quotes in the film for me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm Savon. Looking back at it, what was kind of your overall um, just most memorable quote? Uh, I think the setup between when uh, Teddy first got there or got to the scene or whatever, he was like, uh, mm-hmm. "So this is a female prisoner." He was like, "A patient, sorry, patient." One uh, Rachel Salando, whatever, escaped sometime in the last 24 hours. Last night between blah blah blah, he said, "Is she considered dangerous?" He was like, you can say that she killed all three mm-hmm. of her children. That was such a like a little a mm-hmm, nugget yeah. that we didn't even like first watching the movie, you didn't even know that setup. Yeah, and then at the oh, those nuggets, man. You need some That's dip what with I was saying, yeah. Oh, He's so sneaky, bro. I'm telling <laughs> you, like, he was dropping so many nuggets throughout the film, man. So many nuggets. It, it was like there was one where when he was first introduced to Dr. Kali. And they were talking about swimming. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I didn't like. I knew the second time I watched it, I knew what he was talking about. He was like, um, I forgot what he said, but it, it was something about swimming. And I knew he was talking about uh, uh, his wife, John, and the kids. I was like, dang, bro, this this whole movie, yeah. it, the way it's set up, it, there's so many elements that are like foreshadowing. Yeah, and uh, I got a couple more of you yeah. guys, if you you know, would humor me. 
I think it was another yeah, one. Yeah, he okay. said, uh, "Go ahead." Sanity's not a choice, Marshall. You can't choose to get over it. And also, yeah, it's not my job to treat the patients, knock the victims. And then, uh, last one is there is a reason, doctor, why you keep referring to the reason, doctor. You keep referring to your patient in the past tense. And he's so freaking good. Take a look outside. Yeah. Why do you think? Yo, nugget, <laughs> honey mustard on it. Nugget, nugget after nugget. <laughs> barbecue Jeez, sauce, barbecue sauce, man. Ranch, buttermilk. In a, come on, man. Nuggets, nugget. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it was, it was, just, it was, it was just filled with, 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 with so many twists. And transitioning to what did you like the most about the storyline? You know, to me, this was just um, a highly stylized film, and the sustained suspense makes the rewatches even better. Um, the set pieces are, are fantastic where the past inter- intervenes with the present and just um, a masterful technical uh, triumph. Um, but to you, Maurice, uh, what was kind of like the favorite part, y- your favorite part about this particular storyline? Yeah, in terms of in terms of the, the storyline itself, you know, it's actually kind of sad because like, I think what they were trying to say was like, you know, he was like a veteran of uh, some type of uh, war or something. You know, he might have had some slight PTSD. And then they were like, these elements of his drinking problems, like, um, cause you know, that scene in the house where uh, the scene that I was talking about, the, you have to let me go. At first she was holding this, this uh, bottle of alcohol. Um, and then it disappeared when the camera turned back on her. And so, and also there's other film or other scenes where he was shown to be drinking and stuff like that. But on top of that, you know, mm-hmm. his wife was, she was she had like this insanity bug inside her that was eating away at her eating away at her eventually to the point where she ended up killing her kids and arguably it was all because he didn't listen to her because she told him in the past and that's like his whole guilt the, the reason why he's he wants to forget everything because at the end you know he blames it on himself for his wife killing his kids because he didn't listen to her the whole time when she was saying that she was sick in the head and she needed help and so just the whole yeah. movie is just is really sad um, under that. And then on top of that, it's this layer of this detective that's like finding out that he's the patient that they're looking for or he's he's that missing patient, you know. So it's just super deep, um, very mm-hmm. detailed movie. Yep. Um, and I really Absolutely. appreciated it. Yeah, definitely. Um, Savon, to you, um, what was kind of your favorite part um, about the storyline? Probably the cutaways, man. The cutaways um, that kind of led you down this rabbit hole. But in in doing so, really gave you a perspective that you didn't even know you wanted until the end. Which really kind of gave you... They told you everything in bits and pieces and nuggets. And the cutaways were really the big entree, you know? But I think if without those, I think the storyline would have... (laughs) I don't see a, another way for them to make the storyline make sense without the cutaways, without showing you different parts of not just the past memories, but what his mind goes through every single day living with that guilt and where his mind goes when he's just sitting there and without taking his medicine as a normal patient. And I really yeah. like the way they try to do something different because of his background. Maurice uh, 
mention about him being a, a marshal and being a, a veteran, all that good stuff, and not listening to how they try to figure out how can we snap him because we think he's different. I think he understands if we get him to understand that we can work past those things and get him discharged. But I really, I mean, I mean, it's, it's so 68%. I'll just... Six, huh. six Rotten Tomatoes. Do better. Do better, Rotten Tomatoes. Do better. <laughs> hey, you know what they did? They got caught up on that cave scene. You, you know what I'm talking about? Where he climbed up to the cave and it was yeah. like the fire. That that scene right there, that threw me off. I almost want to put that in one of the most memorable scenes. Can we like, talk that about that? Can... Yeah, like that threw off the whole movie for me when I watched it. Because I was like, oh, they really are tricking him. And yeah. honestly, it's like, if it, literally, if it wasn't for that last quote, the, the end of the movie would still be in question solely because of that mm-hmm. scene right there. That scene changed the Was whole she movie real? And if, that's, that's the thing. It's like those the smokes that they were taking, the, it was either medicine or it could have been what she was saying where it, it uh, could have been like these stories. She literally explained, and that's what throws me off. She literally explained exactly what was happening to him that yeah. they were trying to make it seem like he did this in the past or they're they're making him seem crazy. And she literally explained it off. And I'm like, that scene right there threw me off. And it still does. But then that last the last quote kind of just wraps it all back. And it was like, okay. Wraps it together. Is, if he didn't make that quote though, I think that the movie would be in question. It would yeah. still be in question. Yeah, which one actually was real. Mm. Look at there. Yeah, definitely. 68%. And um transitioning sixty-eight percent. I still can't get over it. 68%. Yeah. And interestingly to our final topic, uh, 10 years from now, is it still watchable and, and intriguing? Um, I, I definitely feel like it will because this was the type of film that um, focused on senses, uh, had thrilling visuals. And, and with the DiCaprio-Scorsese um, combo, even though you know they didn't receive an Oscar nomination, it's, it's just an elite duo as this was a top-notch um, unsung thriller that will, you know, be forever captivating and, and, rivet, and riveting with an ending, you know, that's always going to be discussed as well. Um, but Maurice, to you, in terms of just, you know, how it's going to be long lasting another 10 years from now, what kind of elements do you think will help it still be that type of film that 10 years from now is still going to be watched and, and, and analyzed and intriguing? Yeah, I, de- I definitely think it's uh, going to remain watchable, even, even with that, you know, that tomato score. But we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about Ron Tomatoes. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they could, I could care less about their opinion. But I definitely think it's going to be uh, watchable because, like, picture this. Like, if you think about it, a lot of movies, you know, kind of touch on something that was, like, in the past or, like, in the future, something that we're currently dealing with. But, like, that movie wasn't really talking about, like, it didn't really deal with anything that was, like, uh, happening at the current time, like when it came out. So like mm-hmm. it was its own movie. It stood alone. It was its own story. And 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 what makes it good is that the fact that it's a sad story, and they tell it in a unique way that everyone can emphasize with uh, Teddy's character. And I think that's what makes it such a good film, and that's what makes it rewatchable because you want to know what happened to him, and you want to know what what you should believe, whether he's a good guy or a guy that got trapped um, on the island, or he's a murderer, you know? So it definitely makes it uh, rewatchable and uh, very intriguing. Definitely going to show my kids. Definitely going to show my kids. Oh, yeah. It, it is absolutely a film that, that that's going to be remembered for a long time. Um, Savon, to you, uh, to, to wrap it up, 
uh, what in particular do you think will will make this film just an always watchable and, and intriguing um, type of movie? One, uh, because the lead actor is a legend. Uh, the producer, mm-hmm. or uh, not producer, but uh, director, director, is a legend. Uh, and also that you can can't really predict because most movies you can predict the ending. You cannot mm-hmm. predict. I don't care if you say, "Well, I can predict." No, you really can't predict this ending. And I think that is going to be like the, it's going to stand the test of time because of that. Because most movies are predictable. Like, yeah, okay, that we knew that was going to happen. It was leading up to it, but we didn't. Yeah, I, I don't want to get it back. You know, talk too long, but I feel like the ending and the storyline people will be able to cling to and be like on the, the tip of their seat, like, okay, what's going to happen next? Especially when they uh, yeah. find out uh, about the, the cave scene, which is really, really haunting me sometimes. Because I was like, she was real. She was real. She yeah. was real. Yeah, she got to be real. <laughs> yeah. Was, any more thoughts on Rotten Tomatoes, guys? Any any more things we have to say with Rotten Tomatoes? I'm going to tell my kids, don't believe it. Don't you believe it. Don't look at that rating. Don't look at that rating. Don't do it. They had the rating backwards. They meant 86. Yeah. That's what I'll they were. I'll take 86. I'll take an 86. I'll say, it's still a little low, but I'll it take it. A, it, was a typo. it. It was a typo. Yeah. yeah. Well, Maurice, it has been an absolute pleasure. Again, you're, you're always one of the favorite guests that we have on this show. And, and thanks for being back on, man. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate being here. Yeah, man. Well, that wraps it up for tonight. I'm your host, Winsor Burns, along my counterpart, Savon Morris. This has been Full Scope. See you later. <laughs>